Well, hello, TBC family and friends. Glad to be with you. I also want to say welcome to those engaged with us online. Let's grab our scriptures, however you do that, and let's turn together to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to be beginning in verse 23. And so however you turn into God's word, please join me there, Acts chapter 19, verse 2023. You know, recently, my wife was in my car with me, and we were riding and she, she heard some noise and she says, your car has an issue. And I, I'll be honest, I ignored her. And we just kept going. And well, a few days after that, I was riding with one of our pastors in my car. And he's sitting there and he goes, bro, your car has an issue. And so here's a piece of advice to young husbands or soon-to-be husbands. Listen to your bride. Please listen to her. It will go well for you. The, the second thing is, is this, is just as my car has an issue, I think many of us, if not all of us, maybe have an issue. Maybe it's a subtle issue or maybe it's a big issue. And that issue that I'm talking about is idolatry. And the text that we're going to look at takes idolatry head on, and I want us to study that together. And so as you get ready to turn there, as you're already there in Acts chapter 19, here's the context. Last week, Pastor Sherm talked about the Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey. This week, we're going to see that Paul is now in his third missionary journey, and he's in the town called Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city, approximately 300,000 people, and it was a leading city. It was the capital of the Rome, Roman province of Asia. And so Ephesus, this leading city, this large city, Paul has been here for about three years, and he's making plans to leave, and then we see what happens in verse 23. About that time, a major disturbance occurred in regard to the way. If you've been with us, you know the way is a term used to describe Christians, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. So we're introduced here to Demetrius, and he is an idol maker. He makes idols of Artemis, or he makes idols of the temple in which Artemis is in. He made these shrines. They were models, if you will. And people, the scripture says, from all over Asia including Ephesus, they would come to these silversmiths like Demetrius, they would give them money, and they would in turn get a souvenir. They would get a, a miniature idol of Artemis, or they would get a, a miniature idol of the temple in which Artemis resided. And they would take that souvenir, take it back to their home, back to their village, and their families would worship Artemis from their home, their dwelling. And Artemis was the chief goddess of all the gods that people worshipped in Ephesus. It's estimated there were over 25 gods in Ephesus that people worshipped. But the chief, the chief goddess was Artemis. And the reason I say that is because in Ephesus, there was a massive temple, 400 feet long, 200 feet wide, and had 127 marble columns that extended up in the air 60 feet it was a massive temple, and it was actually one of the seven wonders of the world. 
So if Arlington is the home of the Dallas Cowboys, because that is where Arlington Stadium is, Ephesus is the home of Artemis. Ephesus was actually called the guardian of the temple of Artemis. And look at what the rest of this verse tells us. It says that Artemis was bringing considerable business to the craftsmen. And so as a silversmith, as an idol maker, Demetrius is making lots of coin from Artemis. And, and, and Demetrius is probably one of the leading silversmiths. And so what he does, he says in verse 25, he's going to gather these other silversmiths, these craftsmen, these workmen, he's going to gather them together. And notice in verse 25, he says he gathered these men together with the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know that our, and notice what the scripture says, if you're falling on prosperity, notice this, this is what is causing Demetrius to speak up to gather these people. He's concerned about his wealth, his prosperity. I believe this is Demetrius's idol. His men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. But notice then in verse 26, he's going to identify the problem and, it's, and the problem is a person. He says, you see in verse 26 and here, that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, and there's these two words, this Paul. He's emphasizing and he's pointing out a lot of this is being caused by this Paul. Now, we've studied about Paul as we've walked through the book of Acts. And in verse 11 of Acts chapter 19, it says that Paul, God used Paul to do extraordinary miracles, Extraordinary. So these are not normative. I mean, this is an extraordinary time. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is doing these extraordinary miracles. For example, if you had a handkerchief and it touched Paul and you took that handkerchief to your sick family member or a friend who was, had, had a, a demon, then you just took that piece of cloth that had touched Paul, your friend or your family member would be healed from that sickness or that demon. I mean, that's what was happening in Ephesus through Paul. God was doing him to do extraordinary things. And the scripture says that seven brothers saw this and they wanted to get in on the action. They, they, they wanted this attention. They wanted maybe to make some money as well. So it says these seven brothers, their father was a priest and and, you know, they're kind of like, to me, they're, a, they're like the knockoff brand. If you grew up and you enjoyed Dr. Pepper, but then maybe your friend's parents or maybe your parents, they didn't want to spend the money on Dr. Pepper, so they got Dr. Thunder. You, th it's these guys. They're the knockoff brand, and they're seeing what Paul is doing. And so they start going around, and they start saying to people who are demon-possessed, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, get out. Well, they try that on one guy. They walk up to him, all seven of them, and they go into the house and they say to this man who has demon possessed, they, they say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, get out. And this is what the scripture tells us. It's hilarious. The, the demon possessed man says, I, I've heard of Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And it says this demon-possessed man overpowers these seven brothers and pummels them and masters them so much so, it says that they run out of the house bloody and naked. That's in your Bible. 
I wish when I was a junior high boy, I wish I would have heard this story because I would have fell in love with the Bible probably. <laughs> but this is what's happening in Ephesus. This Paul is doing extraordinary things because God is using him. And then I want us to walk through a few of these verses. After all those things that happen, I want you to see what it says in verse 17. And I have this on the screen for you. It says this. This became known. So these miracles, all that was happening, it says it became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. It was being magnified. And also verse 18, it says, many, not one or two, not a few, but many of those who had believed kept coming. And notice it says they were confessing and disclosing their practices. Those two words put together means they were coming fully and being completely honest. They were thoroughly doing an assessment from top to bottom in their lives, and they were confessing and disclosing their idols. And then we read, And it says, and many, again, many of them who practice magic brought their books. This was common during this day to have a book with spells in it. It says they books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. This wasn't like a, a private conversion experience. This was a public, genuine conversion experience of many, many people where they're disclosing and they're destroying their idols, having met Jesus. And they added up together the prices of these books, and it found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In today's currency, that's over $5 million. They're destroying their idols. And notice that this book-burning, sin-confessing, idol-destroying, darkness-fleeing, Jesus-magnifying moment did not push God away. Oh, no. It led to revival. The last verse there, verse 20 says, so the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. Often we're afraid to disclose our idols to God and one another because we're afraid God's going to turn his back on us, but not, that's not what the scripture shows us. God shows up and does amazing things. And Demetrius says, this Paul, he's thinking of all that's going on all that's being destroyed, the money that, that people are losing, and he starts thinking about his own pocketbook. And he says in verse 26, Paul is persuaded, and he's turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. This was part of Paul's message. And the scripture says a considerable number of people turned from Artemis to serve the living and true God. Many, considerable, turning from Artemis and turning to God. So in one kind of last hurrah, Demetrius is gonna to try to stir the pot, if you will, and, and in doing so, he actually becomes, and I think this is fascinating about the scriptures, he actually becomes a truth-sayer. Demetrius does. He's going to start spewing truth. And if you look at verse 27 with me, you'll see this. 
With all that's going on, Demetrius says, not only is there danger that the trade of ours will fall in disrepute. So he's saying, if, if, if Paul is right, and, and idols made by the hands of man are not gods at all, then our business of making idols is going to go down the drain. And he goes on and says, and also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as worthless. And that she, whom all of Asia and the world worship, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. And Demetrius is correct. If Paul is correct, the gods made by hands are not gods at all, then he is correct in all that he is saying to those around him. And someone helped me to see that you can go to Ephesus and Demetrius has been forgotten. You can go to Ephesus and there's no temple. And you can go to Ephesus and there's no statue of Artemis. But you know what there is today? There's the grace of God and the church of Jesus Christ that is still alive and thriving today. Amen? Amen. So, Demetrius tries to, not try, he causes a riot. The city kind of gets a little bit crazy, but then the crowds get dismissed and Paul is able to leave safely. As we finish our time together, I just want to look at two takeaways with you real quickly. And these two takeaways come from one verse, and I want to turn your attention to that one verse, and that's verse 26. This is Demetrius, his words. As you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and he's turned away a considerable number of people. This Paul. Demetrius has kind of this hatred, this Paul. That's a demonstrative pronoun emphasizing Paul. And he's saying, this Paul is turning our city upside down. This Paul. And this is what God does when a man or a woman offers him or herself to God. This is what God does. He'll use one individual to make a difference. We see it throughout the pages of Scripture. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Moses. We see it in Joshua and Esther. We see it in Ruth. We see it in the New Testament with Peter, with Mary, and with Paul. God does extraordinary things through ordinary people like he did in Ephesus. This Paul is turning the city upside down. What kind of difference does God want to make with you? He still wants to do that today. We get an example of this in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. God here is speaking to a king and he says this, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God wants to use you to make a difference. Will you allow him to impact your coworker, your fellow athletes, your neighbors? Just as this Paul made a difference in this story, God wants to use you and he wants to use me in our context, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our county to make a difference. With Paul, he turned the city upside down. 
What is it you, you can ask God to do through your life? The second takeaway is also in this verse. And it says that a considerable number of people turned away. Don't, don't miss this. A considerable number of people in this town where there were 25 plus rival guides, a considerable number of people on this day turned to the living God. Well, I want you to meet one of our friends. I'm going to ask my friend David to come up and share his story of turning to God from his idol. As he's making his way up here, would you please welcome him with me, please? Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Good morning to you. Glad you're here. And uh, would you just share a little bit of your story? Well, uh, I had a belief in God very early on in my life as a child growing up. But as my teenage years came along, I kind of turned my back on him because I thought I could do it all on my own if I worked hard, and I did. I achieved a lot of things at a very early age uh, as a young adult. Uh, but I also started to drink about that time. And it wasn't long before I was drinking all the time. If I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about it. And it created a lot of havoc in my life. And I put it before my wife. I put it before my kids. I put it before my job After time, as time went on. And... All these things happen, and I don't know how many times I promised God that I'd quit drinking when I was in having a problem or whatever. You know, God, just get me out of this, and I promise I'll quit. Well, I broke a lot of those promises, most of them. And finally, something happened in my life that was bad enough that it got my attention. And so one more time I reached out to God, but I didn't make any promises. I just asked him to help me to quit. And he put the people in front of me that were willing and able to help me. Uh, and I would like to say it was an easy road to travel, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't... <laughs> It was a rough road going down, and it was a rough road coming back. But with God's help and the help of all these other people that he put in my life, uh, I made it really well. And it's, it's a normal that what was normal for me then is not normal today. This new normal I've created, uh, I'd like to say you could create it in weeks or months, but it takes years. Uh, it takes years of discipline and practice and everything. Uh, regardless of what your addiction may be or your problems may be, you know, uh, this one, you know, it's like I say I got addicted to chocolate too, but they don't arrest you for that. Uh, maybe they should, but they don't. Uh, but as I kept getting better, you know, and and all this, 
it's just amazing what God has done with my life since then and how I just, as long as I keep following him, I don't see how I can go wrong. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. Wow. Well, and I know, David, I've, we've had multiple conversations, and I don't know if there's somebody here that maybe has the same idol of alcohol that you'd be more than willing to, to visit with them. David's got a story to share, and he's here to share a portion of it with you today. Yeah, if, if you have any, any questions or concerns about a loved one or, you know, anything like that, I've, uh, through my years, I've, through the people that's helped me, I've received a lot of counseling. Uh, and that's what one, one of the many tools I used to, to get back along with prayer, you know, and, and always asking God to be a part of my life. And sometimes I take a detour of that. We, we never know when the devil's going to slip in and try to get us to go a different direction again. And so if things are not feeling quite right, you know, and I'm not feeling quite right about whatever this is, then it's kind of a constant reminder to me that maybe this is not supposed to happen right now. And so I go back again and, and turn to God to, to get me pointed in the right direction, regardless of what the problem may be. Uh, it could be something simple. It could be something major. But he's always there. Uh, if I'll just pay attention, he will, he will put somebody in my life that will make the difference. Yeah. Thank you, brother. So what is, what is your idol? For Demetrius, it was wealth, it was prosperity. For our brother David, his idol was, was alcohol. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe it's a, a little issue right now, kind of like my car. Maybe it's a big issue. But I just want to share a, a quote with you that may help you to kind of process maybe what your idol may be. And this is from Timothy Keller. And he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you? And as I've been thinking about this statement, I think for me, if I were to confess, I would say one of my idols, one, is exercise. As David shared how he prioritized alcohol above his entire family, I think of how I prioritize exercise. So what is it that's your idol? What is it you're, you're holding onto so tightly? Maybe it's food. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your children. What, what is the idol that you're so holding onto so, so tightly? I know some of us, we're afraid to confess because we're afraid this is going to push God away from us. But his scripture reminds us over and over again, he's a loving and caring God. Matter of fact, Jesus said this, that if you are weary and you're heavy laden, that you can come to him because he is gentle and lowly in heart. And remember what happened when people came and they confessed and they burned their idols, what God did? He moved among the people. As I've been thinking about 
idolatry, I think it often occurs when we take something good like food and we make it God. So what in your life have you made God? And we want to take just a moment to kind of capture the spirit of of this moment. And so we're going to sing a song that talks about Christ being magnified, about saying no to idols. And I want to encourage you just, if you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to stand and sing, you can stand and sing. Maybe you just want to come and pray for a family member, for our church, or for yourself about letting go of idols. We want to encourage you to come to the front of the stage. Maybe some of you, you need help. You need to pray with someone or talk with someone. David, myself, will be down front as we sing, and we would love to pray and talk with you. And I want to leave you with this poem from William Cooper that I've been kind of marinating on all week. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So can we take a few minutes and ask God to help us to tear these idols from our throne so that we magnify him and him alone? Would you please pray with me? So Father, we're here to take a minute to reflect, to pray, to sit, to stand, to sing, to be silent. But we want to ask for your help, the help of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive your word this morning in whatever way that looks like. And we just want to be a people that confess thoroughly from top to bottom of the idols in our lives so that we can receive the grace and mercy you so desire to give us. And so, Father, would you release people? Would you release your children? Would you help them be released from the idols that they cling on today? May you help us to tear them from our throne and worship only you. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.